guys. I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday as we're beginning to end another week. Always happy to have you on board. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I am at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. I just want to call your attention to the fact that last week I did do the fantastic Timcast show, and I've now posted the entire link up in my highlights on my Instagram page. So Monica Crowley underscore, and then check out, you know, those circle thingies underneath my bio. Well, there's a whole circle thingy, I guess it's called a highlight, (laughs) which is dedicated uh, to the entire link of the Tim Cash show, all two hours. You can watch the entire thing. I've also posted a post with some still photos from the Tim Cash show. It was just fantastic. I had a blast. All right, coming up next week, we got big shows lined up. Liz Wheeler is going to be here with her new book, You Know Me Park, with warnings uh, from North Korea about the dangers of American communism. Uh, We're going to have some blockbuster conversations. We've got the great actor, John Schneider. He's going to come up in the weeks ahead. Really big things uh, teed up including members of Congress, to tell us what's actually going down. You know, you guys, we see that uh, these budget negotiations over government spending and the CR and everything is just blowing up, as it should. We've had enough, okay? Your time has expired. If you are a Republican member of Congress, your time is up if you don't get what time it is in America, and thank God for these conservatives and these populists led by the great Matt Gates, uh, leading the charge, saying no more. Do you know that this year we're going to set a record-breaking $2 trillion in the deficit? $2 trillion deficit for the first time ever. I remember when we first crossed a trillion-dollar deficit, and uh, that was an outrageous blockbuster set of headlines and how unsustainable that all is, well, guess what? We're now in a moment where we're double that in just one year. In just one year, a $2 trillion deficit. And then, of course, the national debt. Well, forget about that. I mean, you're going to need a Tylenol when I give you that number. $33 trillion national debt. So obviously, we cannot go on like this. This is an economic implosion. We're speeding down the train tracks here. You can see the crash coming. And we've got just a handful of people in the house, just a handful saying no more. We got to stop this. We got to rein in government spending and actually start cutting things, as well as defunding the weaponization of the government, the DOJ, the FBI, Jack Smith's office, enforcing the border. Why is it that we just have a handful of Republicans standing up against all of this? Are they all just so cowardly? I guess so. I guess so. I guess we've got a bunch of cowards, compromised people in there who are so busy taking money from lobbyists and and financial institutions, etc., that want to keep the corrupt gravy train going with their own hands out that they're just continuing down the path. Well, you know what? We can't anymore. We can't. And then when the whole thing blows up, guess who's going to suffer? You and me. Not them. They're socking away a ton of money. Look at the Bidens. Look at the Clintons. We're going to get to them too because their grift has restarted. All of these people, the ruling class, they protect themselves. They sock away millions of dollars that they're laundering, that they're taking hand over fist in these offices and in these institutions. They are feathering their own nests because they know the catastrophe is coming and they're protecting themselves and their families while leaving you out to dry. And the people that they're going to destroy the most are the folks in the middle class, the working class, and the poor. All the people that, uh, well, especially Democrats, profess to embrace and champion, oh, we're the, the party for the little guy. We're the party for the working man. Look at the auto strike now. 
right? The Biden White House is all, oh, we're for the, the workers. Well, actually, you're not because you're pushing EVs, electric vehicles. And guess what? The cost to make an EV is about 40% less than the cost to create a car with an internal combustion engine, meaning that the push toward EVs is going to put thousands of people out of work. You think Biden cares? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, yesterday when he was meeting with the Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, he was caught on a hot mic with the press yelling questions at him, and he leans over to Bibi and he goes, oh, I'm surprised that they're not asking me about the auto strike. You know, they're always asking me about things that aren't in front of me at the moment. And I know what he meant by that. He meant, you know, here I am talking to you about Israel and foreign policy in the Middle East and all of that. I know what he meant by that. But it came off like, oh, they're always asking me about stuff that I don't care about. (laughs) So, and by the way, there's uh, reporting now that the Biden White House is freaking out over the fact that next week, instead of going to the second GOP debate, Donald Trump is going to Detroit to talk to the striking auto workers. It's a masterstroke. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Don't forget, Donald Trump is the blue-collar billionaire. Donald Trump is the champion of the working class, the forgotten men and women around the country. He, what he's doing next week to stand with them is brilliant. And you know what? It's not just a political act. What Trump is doing is actually coming from his heart to stand with these workers, as he has always done throughout his career, long before politics. The man was putting up buildings in New York City. You know how hard that is? With all the regulations, I'm sitting in New York City today. It's a nightmare. You can't even turn around without getting hit in the face with some regulation. And yet Trump did it. And you know what? He was on his building sites hanging with the workers, not hanging with the four people, hanging with the workers, because that's who he is. He's a guy from Queens who worked hard, hit it big, and wanted to give back and turn this country around. And for that, he's got 91 charges against him with four major indictments and maybe more to come. So there's his thank you. But he's going to go stand with the auto workers next week. It's a brilliant move. It comes from his heart. And the Biden White House is flipping out. There was some reporting that said from some source in the White House, we got scooped by Trump. And now if we go, we look like we're following Trump. Yeah, exactly. You know why? Because again, Trump is doing this from his heart. It's not some like crass political calculation. Trump has always stood with forgotten men and women and the working men and women of this country. And that's why he is going because he actually means it. (sighs) Okay. So there you got a little, little first Monica memo. (laughs) you're getting two for the price of one here. I'm just incensed by the destruction to the average American, the destruction to the country. So there, you got a mini Monica memo. And now let's kick off with the actual Monica memo, shall we? Uh, Your attorney general, Merrick Garland, is a corrupt liar who should be held in contempt. He should be impeached and he should be removed from office. He is little more than Tom Hayden, okay? He's little more than a mob lawyer for the Biden crime family, the Democrat crime family, and he's using the Department of Justice, which we pay for, to wage a war against the American people on behalf of that mob boss who pulls his strings. That's all he is. Merrick Garland testified yesterday before the House Judiciary Committee, and it was a total spectacle. The Attorney General of the United States, who was supposed to enforce the law equally and represent all Americans, he is supposed to be the lawyer for America. He's supposed to be the lawyer for all Americans. Unbiased, independent, separate and distinct from political wins. And yes, he is a political appointee. The president appoints the AG. But he is supposed to go in there with the knowledge, recognition, and then execution of someone who represents all Americans and the rule of law. Not the rule of men, not political wins, not the president, not any kind of political party. 
and Merrick Garland is the exact opposite. He is the most radical attorney general we have ever had. And we've had some doozies like Eric Holder. We've had some doozies, but he is the worst, most corrupt one of them all. And he flies under the radar. Have you noticed that? Merrick Garland very wisely, I mean, all of the real power players stay under the radar. So even though he's the AG and he gets hauled in front of Congress every now and again, like he did yesterday, he still is very quiet. He doesn't give interviews. He doesn't go in front of the cameras. He doesn't do anything like that. That is a tell. That is a tell that he's really uh, doing all kinds of nefarious things in the dark, in the shadows, like Susan Rice when she was in the White House. By the way, she's very quiet. She left the Biden White House. Remember, she's a foreign policy expert, and Biden brought her in to run domestic policy. Yeah, (laughs) right. We know what was going on there. I've told you this for a year and a half on this show. Susan Rice was Barack and Michelle Obama's conduit into the Biden White House to execute the domestic policy side. Well, she has since left. What is she up to? No reporting on that. Could she be running the Biden campaign or did she leave the White House to set up the Michelle Obama campaign? I don't know, but we've seen no reporting on this whatsoever. It's always the people who are quiet. It's the dog that hasn't barked. If I can train you on one thing, guys, it's to keep your eyes and ears peeled for the dog that isn't barking. Susan Rice, where is she? Mm -hmm. That's a dog that hasn't barked. Merrick Garland, same thing. So every once in a while, uh, he goes on Capitol Hill. He gives some BS testimony full of lies. And then he disappears again. Merrick Garland is working with Lisa Monaco, who is his number two, who was very high up in the DOJ during the Obama years. And they're all working hand in glove with another dog that hasn't barked, Eric Holder, Obama's attorney general. Okay. So they're all working together. And then they put on a a blank face like Merrick Garland did yesterday and spew a bunch of lies and a bunch of no comments, or I can't comment on that because it's an ongoing investigation, or I can't recollect, or I can't recall like he did a million times yesterday. They just BS their way through the testimony. And yes, the Republicans did an amazing job. And we're going to get to that in a second. They did an amazing job. Jim Jordan was masterful. He, of course, is the chairman, but there were others on that committee that just nailed him. But you know what? When you're Merrick Garland or you're Barack Obama or you're Joe Biden or you're any of these clowns, you know that you are protected. You are protected by the propaganda press who's not going to report on any of this. You know that you are protected by your party that closes ranks. They're not like Republicans, which are a giant hot mess, stabbing each other in the back, chaos, leaking on each other. No, Democrats always present a united front. So you know that you're going to be protected by your party. And then, of course, you are protected by the deep state. You're protected by the DOJ, the FBI, the intelligence community. And I should make mention here, I was remiss at the top, we're going to be joined in a couple of minutes by former CIA agent Mike Baker, and I want to ask him about all of this corruption in the intel communities. But you know, if you're a Democrat on the left, that you can engage in literal murder, all kinds of crimes, bribery, treason, you name it, and you can get away with it because you will be protected. So Merrick Garland sits there yesterday, and he takes the incoming, and he's like filing his nails. And he gives you these BS answers, but he knows none of it matters because there will be no accounting for this. He will not be held accountable. You think the House Republicans are going to impeach Biden and Garland and Mayorkas and the entire rest of the Biden cabinet? They deserve to be impeached, but the House Republicans only have so much bandwidth. And I get that, but you know what? They came into office in January of this year. What have they been doing? And they didn't have this whole budget thing with the individual spending bills ready to go? Come on. Come on. You know, they are not comfortable in the majority. 
I'm sorry to say, but Republicans are just not, they're more comfortable in the minority. They're more comfortable like fighting back. Oh, the evil majority of the Democrats, send me money, vote for me next time. We'll flip the house and we'll do more next time. It's all BS. Again, there are a few exceptions like Matt Gates and others, but by and large, mm -mm. whereas Democrats, when they're in power, and they steal the power, of course, but when they're in power, they exercise raw power. They have no qualms about it. They just exercise raw power. They do not ask for permission and they do not ask for forgiveness. They just plow ahead. And that's largely why we are where we are in America today. Because our loyal opposition of Republicans likes to stay in the loyal opposition. The whole thing is grotesque and we've had enough. So yesterday, in yesterday's Mayor Garland hearing, uh, you know, most of the Republicans were very good on that uh, committee, I have to say, uh, led by Jim Jordan, who was amazing. And uh, most of these Republicans just spent their time ripping Garland a new one over his massive abuses of power, from the weaponized DOJ and FBI, to the two-tier justice system, to January 6th to targeting regular Americans like parents and Catholics just for showing up with a different point of view. They railed on him for all of it. I want to turn to one in particular, Victoria Sparks. She is a congresswoman. She is, she is pure fire. You know how they say that converts are the most passionate? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like a former smoker is the most passionate about quitting smoking. Um, or like a, a Catholic convert is the most passionate about Catholicism. Well, Victoria Sparts was born in Ukraine during the Soviet era. So she knows what communism is. She knows what communist corruption is. She's seen it all firsthand. And she fled all of that to come to the land of the free. And guess what? It's right now on top of our heads. We're going to talk here pretty soon to Yunomi Park, who fled North Korea with the same story and the same passion for America. But Congresswoman Sparts showed more balls yesterday than most of the other Republicans combined. She is a true champion of freedom. I have met her. She is a fireball for liberty and truth. She loves America, and she hates what the left is doing to it. She went off on Garland yesterday. Here is part of what she had to say. Listen. You have a nice, you know, playbook. First, let's have a special counsel, and then you don't have to answer any questions here. Then, let's extend slow walk investigation on Hillary Clinton, on Hunter. Everything is slow walk. We were very quick on Donald Trump, but you were very slow walk. Then, by the time... You know that investigation and its statute of limitation expired, and all of your agents need to be tested for amnesia. No one recalls anything. Okay, you probably should have as part of your hiring policy. So no one held accountable, which was egregious what happened, you know, in that report. When I read with them, I can't believe it happened in the United States of America. This is my frustration. I'll be honest with you. Then... It's very interesting, you know, regardless what it is, even people in Obama administration raise concerns. You know, how can President Sanz be serving on, you know, corrupt Ukrainian oligarchs? Do you understand that it actually can undermine the one Ukrainian effort and policy? I think these concerns were raised. The Obama administration didn't do anything about it. These people are dying right now, and Americans don't trust this president. Amazing. I tweeted that out yesterday, uh, the full like four minute clip. So go on my Twitter feed at Monica Crowley and check that out. So you should really listen to the whole like four or five minutes of how she just went into Garland and just ripped him a new one. And, you know, there were others who did the same. Here is uh, Congressman Tom Massey telling Garland about, you know, Ray Epps, Ray Epps on January 6th and January 5th, all over uh, videotape rallying people to storm the Capitol, inciting the riot. He is actually on videotape. Whereas people who were not even present at the Capitol are getting years in prison. The DOJ finally stepped up and charged Ray Epps, but with guess what? With a misdemeanor slap on the wrist for disorderly conduct. 
not seditious conspiracy like the Proud Boys and so many others who are getting railroaded for 17, 18 years in prison, but for a misdemeanor for disorderly conduct. Meanwhile, the theory is that Ray Epps is a major fed. And so they're only doing this like they're doing Hunter Biden's indictment, like a slap on the wrist over some sort of secondary charge so that they can argue, oh, look, the equal application of the law is all BS. It's all BS. Here's Congressman Tom Massey railing into Garland over uh, Ray Epps while sending grandmas to prison. You're signing the Constitution. I'm going to sign it. It's our constitutional duty to do oversight. Now, in that video, that was your answer to a question to me two years ago when I said how many agents or assets of the government were present on January 5th and January 6th and agitating in the crowd to go into the Capitol and how many went into the Capitol. Can you answer that now? I don't know the answer to that question. Oh, last time, you don't know how many there were or there were none? I don't know the answer to either of those questions. If there were any, I don't know how many. I don't know whether there are any. I think you may have just perjured yourself that you don't know that there were any. You want to say that again, that you don't know that there were any? I have no personal knowledge of this matter. I think what I said the last time. You've had two years to find out. And the day, by the way, that was in reference to Ray Epps, and yesterday you indicted him. Isn't that a wonderful coincidence? On a misdemeanor. Meanwhile, you're sending grandmas to prison. Well, exactly. And of course, you know, Garland just sits there and he takes it and he just has this impassive uh, expression on his face because he knows, you know, uh, after the hearing, he'll just go back to his office and continue doing what he's doing. Doesn't matter. No accountability. No nothing. So, I mean, I'm glad the Republicans said this to his face, as well they should. But, you know, Garland knows that there are going to be no consequences to any of these abuses of power, so he keeps going. Could care less. In fact, you know, in his opening statement, here's what he said. He's like, oh, I'm not political at all. Our job is not to do what is politically convenient. Our job is not to take orders from the president, from Congress, or from anyone else about who or what to criminally investigate. As the president himself has said, and I reaffirm today, I am not the president's lawyer. I will add, I am not Congress's prosecutor. I'm not the president's lawyer. Well, that's exactly what he is. I mean, you know, they they left the communists, the Democrats, they always do a tell. They always tell you exactly who they are, what they believe, what they're doing, and what they intend to do. I'm not the president's lawyer. That means, of course, he's the president's lawyer. Uh, The rest of his testimony here did not go uh, well for him in terms of the facts, but again, they don't care. Uh, Just to review, Garland admitted that the U.S. Attorney David Weiss, overseeing the Hunter Biden case, did not, in fact, have full authority to bring charges in the Hunter investigation, despite the DOJ's past insistence that he had. So they had lied throughout, and now, uh, yesterday, Garland admitted, uh, yeah, that wasn't true. Where are the perjury charges, right? Where's the accountability? Where's the front-page New York Times spread about Garland and the DOJ's lies Garland refused to say whether he had had discussions with David Weiss as U.S. attorney or special counsel, because remember, now he's the special counsel in the Hunter Biden probe. Uh, He refused to say whether he had talked to Weiss. Garland could not, quote, recollect whether he discussed the Hunter investigation with officials at the FBI. (laughs) Well, of course he did. He's their boss. Of course he did. Supposed to be independent. Bull. Garden dismissed the sworn testimony of multiple IRS whistleblowers alleging political interference in the Hunter Biden probe. So the sworn testimony of multiple IRS whistleblowers who were conducting the tax investigation into Hunter, they all at great risk to themselves and their families and their, their careers, their livelihoods, came forward with all kinds of proof, documentation, mountains of evidence that, uh, that they were being stymied in their probe. And Garland like blew that testimony off. 
basically insulted these brave whistleblowers and said, oh, they, they don't know anything. They don't know. They're not right. Garland could not explain why the Hunter investigation has taken more than four and a half years. <laughs> we know why, but he was like, I don't know. Um, nor why David Weiss allowed the statute of limitations to expire over certain of those alleged crimes committed during Hunter's tenure on the board of Burisma while his father was vice president. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know why we allowed the statute of limitations to run because you had no intention of charging them. That's why, I mean, it's just absurd. Garland insisted, quote, no one that I know of has discussed the Hunter investigation with any officials in the Biden White House. Of course, that is nonsense. A total flat out lie. Garland also claimed that he is unaware of the millions of dollars moved through shell companies set up by a Biden family associate and paid into all kinds of Biden linked accounts. Oh, uh, tens of millions of dollars. I know nothing about nothing. So your attorney general is either lying to your face or he's a total incompetent. Either way, it's not what you want in an AG, right? He's not an incompetent. He's a very smart man. He's just lying to you. We have long known the Biden family got payments, tens of millions of dollars from numerous foreign countries, including China and Ukraine. We've long known that agents of the FBI, the DOJ, the IRS were allegedly stopped from pursuing certain aspects of that investigation, and agents were blocked from interviewing Hunter after the Biden transition team was tipped off the night before. And we've long known that Merrick Garland refused to appoint a special counsel until he appointed the same guy, David Weiss, who slow walked the prosecution in the first place. And Garland is out there simultaneously claiming both definitive knowledge of Weiss's prosecutorial discretion, like, oh, he's got an independent hand, and that he purposely removed himself from the decision-making processes. It doesn't make any sense. It's just absurd because it's a total lie, and it's all a massive cover-up. They think we're stupid, and in many cases, people are. But with the lies, they know that they will never be held accountable. No impeachment, no front-page New York Times investigation into them, no censure, no nothing. They know it. So they continue. Before we turn it over to Mike Baker, formerly of the CIA, speaking of intelligence, guess what? Remember the old Ministry of Truth? Well, Joe Biden uh, has decided he's going to resurrect that under a different name, just like I told you last year he was going to do. In the Department of Homeland Security, they've created a new experts group which they say is to target disinformation and misinformation. Remember the crazy lady, the crazy Mary Poppins singing lady, Nina Jankowitz, who was going to oversee the Ministry of Truth, and then they took her out because holy hell broke loose? Well, now they're going to do it at DHS with people who are far more dangerous. John Brennan, James Clapper, and Paul Colby all signed that infamous October 2020 letter saying that Hunter's laptop was Russian disinformation, and they're all liars. They lied to Congress. They lied to the American people. They abused their power. They're really bad guys. And guess what, guys? They're now, they're now going to oversee DHS's experts group uh, that uh, is going to target mis- and disinformation, meaning me and you, meaning heading into the 2024 election, Joe Biden has now installed the former spooks who helped in the last go-around to steal the election. He's installing them now to work the intel side for 2024. That's how dangerous this is. We're going to cover this more as we move forward. All right, let's hit a quick break. We're going to talk to former CIA agent Mike Baker on the other side. Sit tight. (music) 
All right, welcome back. I am absolutely delighted to welcome Mike Baker. Mike is a former CIA covert operations officer, and after leaving the CIA, he went on to co-found Diligence LLC, which is now Portman Square Group. That is a private intelligence and security firm where he provides insight and expertise to a range of corporate and government clients. He's also become a recognized media commentator. I've known him for a long time. We were just reminiscing about doing Red Eye with Greg Gutfeld back in the day, okay? Um, But he speaks widely on intelligence, security matters, world affairs, national security issues, and he appears on all kinds of shows, including this one. And of course, Joe Rogan. He's been on the Joe Rogan experience more than 10 times. I'm very jealous of that. So I'm going to have to like work Mike over to get me an invite on the Joe Rogan experience (laughs) show. Mike also just took over as the host of the podcast, The President's Daily Brief, and that show covers the most important national security topics of the day, why you should care about them, and what you as an average citizen can do about them. Mike is with us now. Hi, my friend. Hey, Monica. Thank you very much. And and uh, that was a very extensive and, and uh, appreciated intro, but that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> But thank you very much. It's great to talk to you. Well, it's great to have you here. And you know, that is, uh, that's a problem. It's an issue when I have a guest as accomplished as you are, the introduction, you know, the resume at the top to introduce you to the audience takes up half the show. Uh, So that's your fault for accomplishing so much, Mike. But thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you for being here again, and congrats on the new podcast, The President's Daily Brief. Everybody should go check it out wherever you get your podcast. Are you having fun with it? I am. You know, it's it's um, it's it's actually a, a right in my wheelhouse in the sense that uh, I remember uh, some of my friends uh, from the original job from the agency who were. A, a lot smarter than I was, and B, on the, uh, in the Directorate of Intelligence, which is where the analysts and the, uh, the really smart people sit. And so I remember that uh, you know, a couple of them were working on the PDB, on the actual President's Daily Brief uh, back then, and, and thinking, what a smart idea, right? I mean, and, and obviously, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. The president has limited amount of time every morning. So they come in, the briefers come in, they present the, what is called the PDB, and it really is a top line uh, cover of key events and activities and, and, and uh, concerns going on around the world with a small amount of context. And then they move on and then they go to the next key crisis. And it takes very little time in, in reality for the president each morning and his team to go through the PDB uh, to talk with the briefers. And so when I had this opportunity with the podcast, I thought, well, well, sure. Why not? It's 20 minutes of, of everyone's day, every morning, uh, new episodes at 6 a.m. East Coast time. And then you're on your way. Right. But it, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Well, podcasts are a blast. I can testify to that doing this one. So uh, I'm happy to hear that, that you're having fun with that as well. Again, it's called The President's Daily Brief, wherever you get your podcasts, the great Mike Baker. All right, so we've got a lot to cover with you today, Mike, and I want to get into the biggest national security threats we face. But before we do that, I have to ask you about the intelligence community, or as it's known, the IC. You spent many years at the CIA. So now we're getting, and over the last couple of years, we've just gotten a a mountain of evidence of corruption, um, not just from the CIA, but across the IC. First, from the Russia hoax, to the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop, to the infamous letter from 51 current and former Intel leaders knowingly lying that Hunter's laptop was Russian disinformation, to the IC targeting American citizens. So my question to you is, and and by the way, these are just the abuses of power that we know about. I'm sure that the IC is engaged in a lot more. So my first question to you, Mike, is exactly how weaponized is the CIA and the rest of the IC against Americans engaged in wrong think or belonging to the wrong political party? Yeah, that's a, there's a complex question to uh, peel apart. Um First of all, yeah, we have to start from the premise, and I've said this many times, but we cannot allow 
right, whether it's our intelligence community um, or it's federal law enforcement, we cannot allow in this country what happens in some other locations where I've, I've actually seen this firsthand, where the IC, as you, as you put it, or the law enforcement become overly or, or not even overly, but become politicized and answer to uh, and ha- are beholden to whatever or- administration is in charge. And the, the key to this is that the agency, as an example, I can only speak to the CIA because of, of, that's my experience. But with the CIA, it, it has to remain an apolitical organization. And my experience over the years, at least the time that I was there, was that was the case. I don't honestly recall, uh, with the exception of one time standing in front of a TV in a, in a station in a far off location, watching Bill Clinton on there talking about how he did not have relations with a, a particular woman. Um, I don't recall ever standing around and talking politics with any of my colleagues, right? No matter whether we were sitting in a safe house waiting for something to pop or uh, just wherever we may be, have been, we didn't care. Right. Your job in the operation side of things was just to take your task, take the mission, get it done, move on. Right. And that was, from my perspective, exactly what the agency needs to be doing. Now, having said all of that, is there op- are there opportunities? And have we seen situations in recent times where individuals, particularly senior, because what happens is if you get a director of the agency uh, who is – or becomes enamored of their position or closeness to power, uh, the White House, uh, it's very alluring, I would imagine, right? But if they start injecting their agenda or others at a certain senior level, right? Because the people on the street have very little ability to, to uh, manipulate anything, right? You're collecting raw intelligence, you're, you're working operations. Um, it's a day-to-day job. And but there is the opportunity for senior members to become uh, politicized or to have a political agenda. And you've pointed out some of them. The letter involving the uh, former uh, agency officers and, and others within the IC attesting to the fact that they thought the uh, Biden situation was Russian disinformation. Um, if you break that down and you look at how it developed, it starts to make sense, at least if I, I think it, it makes sense if you've if you've been behind the curtain to some degree. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying it's right because it wasn't. But Anthony Blinken, who at the time was basically a political operative for for the Biden camp, um, calls up and talks to, uh, you know, Mike Morrell, a former senior official uh, with the agency and then and, and convinces him in whatever fashion, to get on board with this idea of this, this letter. Let's have lots of, you know, uh, well-known, or at least at this point, well-known, recognized individuals from the IC community sign off on this letter. Come on, let's do it. So Mike then calls people that he knows, right, personal relationships with people he's worked very closely with during his time in the agency. And a very, look, he's, he's a very smart guy, right? But then these people get this call from, you know, their former boss. And the next thing you know, people are on board this train, and I know some of them, and I know some of them regret having been um, influenced or having decided to get on board with this. Some of them did it because it was essentially, in their minds, I believe, a, a favor to someone who they you know, felt respect for and had worked for directly. Um, others, I'm assuming, did it because it was in their political interests or agenda. So that's a long, rambling initial answer to your question, but... The key two parts of it are, A, we can't allow it to happen. You have to have the degree possible as much transparency with the IC community. Um, That, in part, is done by having a very aggressive, proactive, inquisitive, uh, you know, group of people on Capitol Hill who are able to ask all those questions from the intel committees. And, yes, there have been times uh, in recent past when I perfectly understand why people look at it and go, wow, this, this, this is wrong. Yeah, well, it's not just wrong, Mike. It's extremely dangerous. 
And I mentioned before I introduced you as part of my monologue on the show today that um, Joe Biden and Secretary Mayorkas at DHS has created a new experts group uh, to target misinformation and disinformation. But the leaders of this new group at DHS are John Brennan, James Clapper, and Paul Kobe. John Brennan, of course, former director of the CIA, James Clapper, Clapper former DNI, and former uh, CIA senior operations officer Paul Kobe. These are the people who pumped disinformation like, well, Hunter's laptop is Russian disinformation. They pumped that disinformation into the last election uh, in 2020. And now, apparently, they're going to oversee that going into the next election. So when we talk about like oversight from Capitol Hill, yes, it's all really important. But when there is no accountability for these kinds of abuses of power, if not straight up crimes, these individuals keep going back into government or exercising abuses of power from the outside. And the cycle keeps going and the corruption just gets deeper. Yeah, a, a caveat here is that um, Paul is a very good, close friend of mine, and I know him, and so I'm going to have to push back on, on Paul. He's a, he's a very honorable, extremely experienced officer, so I'm going to have to push back on that. As far as, as, far as um, John Brennan, um, I've seen him. I've you know, sat in the same room as him. Um, and yes, he's, I guess, if you were going to look at individuals who over the years um, have been, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, political or um, have an agenda, then I suppose you could certainly put John Brennan in, in that category. But again, a very well experienced and, and smart officer. Um, there is, there's no good answer here, right? Because you don't um, I, I, I think at a certain point, whatever I say on on the agency, is, people are going to look at and go, well, of course, you know, you're going to be defending them. You know, what else are you going to do? That's that's your background. Um, again, speaking from personal experience, I've never seen instances in my own experience when I was there. I'm not saying recent times, but when I was there. I never saw that moment where people would sit in positions where they could have an impact and say, no, you know what, let's suppress this and let's let's go with this instead, because this meets what the White House wants us to say. Right. Um, so. Could it could that, though, be an unspoken thing? Now, maybe when you were there, you know, the environment was different. Now, politics and ideology have infected everything, including obviously intelligence. But could it be that the context is different now? And, you know, if you're dealing with spooks like at the CIA, maybe it's an unspoken uh, just sort of presumption that, that you don't need to have a spoken conspiracy. Everybody just knows what the drill is and acts accordingly. Yeah, I, again, I understand that frame of mind. I mean, I think part of it is this this idea um, has really taken hold, um, and in part because you know of of some of the events and situations and the evidence that's been out there, and that makes sense. I'm not saying some of it isn't well warranted, but I think part of it also is that it's it's it really has risen perhaps and, and gained more credibility than it actually should. There are instances. I'm not again. I'm not denying that. Don't don't get me wrong, but. Uh, I don't think we're looking at an IC or an Intel community or the agency or, or you know, federal law enforcement that every morning people wake up and go, how can we screw over America? You know, what's our political agenda for today? That's not been my experience. My experience with the agency has been you've got countless people working in very difficult situations overseas to further and protect our national security interests. It's it, you know, full stop. And. You know, have there been these instances? Well, apparently, yes. But we have to ensure that that doesn't happen. But I don't think it's I don't think it's a healthy frame of, of mind in this nation for people just to go down this 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 uh, this path that says we can't trust the IC community or we can't trust federal law enforcement anymore because they're all bad. 
And I don't think that's the case. And the way that we, we we're supposed to be able to create as much transparency as possible within the community is, again, in part, at the front end of that sphere is, is the intel committees up on Capitol Hill. If they do their job and they ask the questions they're supposed to and they, they all, you know, get out of their partisan trenches and, and start acting a little bit less dysfunctional, and then, yes, then you have oversight. Um, but, you know, that doesn't typically happen. So I think uh, we have mechanisms in place to try to mitigate this problem, but I just think in part sometimes they don't work. Yeah, and you know, I think I think part of the problem here, Mike, is that there is a history of the abuse of power by the intel community. It didn't just start with John Brennan and James Clapper, you know, and, and you're right to point out there are thousands of dedicated law enforcement and intel analysts working on behalf of the American people and America's interests around the world. Very dangerous work. Um, we're not talking about them, but we are talking about the leadership that then infects the rest of, of the organization. And, you know, a lot of people might feel pressure to toe that line because they want to keep their, their jobs and their careers. And so it's a very insidious kind of thing. But there is a history of this kind of abuse of power by the IC. We saw a lot of it exposed in the 1970s with the church committee. But now here we are again, only the abuses seem even worse during this era. So while you're right to say, you know, we need oversight and there are congressional committees that that do this kind of work, watching these people and these institutions, but unless and until you have real accountability where you have people, if, if John Brennan committed a series of crimes or even one crime, that he is sent to prison for committing those crimes, unless and until you have that kind of accountability, these abuses will just continue to go on. Well, the abuse starts from the top. So if you have a if you have a White House that feels it's all right to try to influence and, and push their political agenda through whether it's the intel community or federal law enforcement, wherever it may be, um, yeah, you've got a problem. And so and, and if they you know look to appoint uh, senior leadership or in those appointment positions, right, director of whatever, then. Yes, you've got a significant issue there, right? Um, but I guess, I guess what I'm saying, and, and this again, this kind of goes against, you know, the, the the theme here. But I don't really believe, seriously, I don't honestly believe that it is as bad as the narrative indicates, right? Um, again, not diminishing that you can have those 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 situations or or those individuals but again these organizations don't get up in the morning and think to themselves okay what's our political agenda for the day let's let's follow that they're doing things that other people don't want to do they're 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 doing work out there that uh, you know other people are, are not stepping up to the line to to engage in and the vast majority of them never get any credit for it because they're rightly so they're in the shadows. So I, you know, again, I'm the wrong person perhaps to talk about this because I've seen too much behind the curtain that goes against this narrative. Um, But I do believe, you know, there's always that potential and we have seen those uh, times and we have to protect against them. So I'm more interested in saying, how do we protect against them rather than, beat some drum that says it's all bad. Yeah, and I think I think the way you get that is a change of leadership, both in the White House and, say, at the CIA, uh, somebody who has the real vision and political courage to just go root out all of this corruption all the way down, uh, remove all of it, and then reform these institutions. That's really what it's going to take. I want to ask you, before we get into to China well, and... I think, you know what, I think that's, yeah, go ahead. that's a problem. I think there's a problem there, Monica, which is, I mean, I've, I've, I've served overseas in some pretty uh, unusual and hostile and challenging environments. And, and in some of those places, you get these uh, situations where you get these purges. You know, the next, the next group in power comes in and goes, hey, we got to root it all out, right? Well, what they really mean is we've got to replace it with people who are more in line with our thinking. And that's a dangerous path to go down. So, I, I, again, I think we have to be more, 
I don't know what the word is. We have to be more uh, intentional about how you protect the organizations from becoming political or from those times when you believe that they are. But in a current environment where everything is so hyper-partisan, um, you know, I can't get on board with the idea that, okay, we're going to go through there and root it all out to the bottom because the, to me, that means I want my people in there. And once you do that, you're nothing better than a banana republic. I just don't see how you reform these institutions and get away from the corruption and the, and the politics of it without getting rid of a lot of bad apples that that have uh, politicized it to begin with. You know, and I want to ask you about one particular story which came out a few days ago. Um, because we've seen some brave whistleblowers come out of the DOJ and the FBI. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, I think we've only heard about one, a recent whistleblower coming forward from the IC, uh, to allege that members of the CIA's science unit dedicated to unearthing the origins of SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, COVID that they were allegedly offered bribes uh, to change their assessment that the virus originated in a lab uh, to a judgment that it came from nature. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, this is, uh, yeah I'm glad you pointed this out. I've talked about this uh, since, uh, since it came to light. Uh, this is a very this is a perfect example of look this is how you have to deal with these problems the they uh, they had a small uh, you know i don't know what the internal name was for it but a, basically a COVID origins task force so a small group of analysts most of them um who came out of the science and technology group so they had a, a you know a, a real um foundation in in science, they weren't just, you know, plucked out of any old, you know, part of the, the agency. There was a reason for them to be on the COVID origins task force. So you had, you had seven of them, I believe. Six of them, as they, they did their research, they're basically, they were, they were uh, instructed to come up with an assessment. You know, was this essentially, your, I mean, you know, your top line, your two key options were, was this a lab leak from Wuhan or was this nature? And according to the whistleblower, who's been described as a, a current officer, uh, senior officer, uh, six of the seven uh, came up with or, or, or came up with essentially a, a low confidence uh, uh, leaning towards a Wuhan lab leak. So not high confidence, you know, not moderate, but they felt that there was enough there to suggest that this was a lab leak issue. The seventh, the, the only other person who apparently was the most senior analyst on the task force, according to the story that's come out, the whistleblower, um, he leaned towards or they leaned towards the uh, nature theory. So what the whistleblower is saying is that by the time the, the process concluded, the assessment was undetermined, right? Rather than six of the seven we're, we're pointing towards a, a Wuhan lab leak, the assessment that came out from the agency saying, OK, well, this is what we believe based on our uh, assessment was uh, it's undetermined. Uh, there's conflicting reporting. Uh, there's not enough sourcing. So therefore, we can't make a determination either way. And the whistleblower is saying the six analysts who were pointing towards the lab leak were influenced. And he's saying they were influenced uh, by financial incentives. Right. So. You know, some people latched onto that immediately and said, well, bribes. OK, I have no idea. But if it's true, if what the whistleblower is alleging is true, that's awful. It's, and, and it's exactly what we were talking about in terms of what can't happen. Yes. You can't take intelligence, right? Or you can't take an assessment like that based on, you know, analysts doing their job. And then somehow, because somebody else has a different opinion, twisting it and and influencing it for political purposes, if that was the reason, and saying, now, here's the answer. That is not the, 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 the core, the lifeblood of the agency is objectivity, objective collection and reporting of intelligence. Now, once that material, here's where it, it, it starts to get a little gray and murky. Once that material leaves the agency, as an example, right, and other, there's other members of the intel community as well, but once reporting leaves the CIA, it gets dumped into a washing machine of other reporting that comes from other members of the IC community or other locations or s signals intelligence or whatever it is, all that gets 
you know, mushed together. And eventually you get analysis that makes its way possibly into something like the PDB, gets in front of the president, right? Um, or gets to the National Security Council, whatever it might be. So there is an editing process. That's just that's just the way it's going to work, right? Um, very rarely does raw intelligence get to the very top in terms of reporting. Right? Sometimes it does if it's so critical that they say, okay, tell me exactly what's the source of this and, and give me the, the, the gruesome details of how this was collected. But there's an editing process that, that combines all the information collected from around all variety of sources. But the whistleblower's comments, again, if true, are, are exactly opposite of what's supposed to happen for the agency. Now, yeah, this is where, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a cynic. They're supposed to investigate this, right? The, this is now something for Congress uh, and the committees that exist to investigate. But my theory for years now has been that Washington, D.C. is the place where all investigations go to die. Mm-hmm. So I have confidence in them being able to do this. Not really. No. Well, yeah, and that's not comforting either, Mike, right? Because, I mean, people should, people should listening to this probably are like, oh my God, you know, right. Right. Because look, if this is true, this is blatant corruption of the, at the CIA, what we were just talking about with the Hunter Biden laptop and the, the fake letter from the Intel uh, sources about Hunter's laptop as Russian disinformation and, and all of it. So I think, you know, I appreciate what you're saying, having years at the CIA, you were there, I wasn't, I get it, I, I know what you're saying. But, you know, when the American people kept getting, keep getting story after story after story of this kind of corruption in the intelligence community out of the CIA, they wonder how rampant this kind of thing is. I mean, if we're hearing about this particular case because of a whistleblower, you know, people are wondering, is this kind of corruption routine? in intel and we're just hearing about this one and and how deep does this go and again i get to the question of accountability mike is there going to be any accountability for any of these abuses of power or are these people going to stay skate because if they they continue to be free to continue abusing their power against the rest of us they will do it well yeah i don't disagree with that statement and i I certainly understand why people uh as you pointed out you know, start to think that, okay, this is just like rampant. Okay, I get, I, I, I get that. Um, my experience is that, no, it's not. But that doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't stop the fact that you need to investigate every potential issue. And you need to be robust in, in making sure that you've got mechanisms or protocols in place that prevent this. Look, we don't send the best and brightest to Washington, D.C., right? I mean, I, I, maybe people will disagree with me. But our politics... In this country, um, you know, that's where I'm cynical. So if we if we were sending our best and brightest and, and we had people that could actually do the hard work of government without um, sort of this hyper partisanship that they have up there on the hill right now, uh, then I would have more confidence in the fact that they could investigate incidents like this and dig deeper and say, OK, OK, this is it, it either is or isn't rampant. But I don't know that we have that ability. Every time they start to, to, to launch an investigation, it just gets mired in this, this muck of partisanship. And people start throwing hand grenades at each other up on Capitol Hill, and things just fade away. I mean, how many times have we seen investigations and think, oh, this is good, and both sides you know, are, are imagining how it's going to end up, and in reality, nothing ever really happens. Right? So I guess that's, that's where I'm the most cynical, but... I, I get what you're saying. I understand it. And, and I guess the top line from me is, yes, you can't allow it to happen. But in my experience that I see, you know, this sort of rampant abuse on the part of the IC or federal law enforcement. No, I did not. Maybe, as you said, times are different and, you know, life has passed me by and it's a whole different world inside the building. But I, I know enough people still in there and the work that, that goes on and, and how difficult it is um, to have some confidence that it's not rampant. 
You know, well, I, I hope you're right for the sake of the country and the American people and our security, uh, both at home and abroad. I hope that you're right, Mike. Um, and we do have a lot of good, dedicated people doing this hard work every day. But we're also hearing, you know, reporting from from them saying, look, it's increasingly difficult to stay neutral, to do my job in an independent way, to, to perform these tasks of independent analysis or uh, work in the field or whatever it might be, because the pressure coming from the top is so political and so intense on us. So we do hear, you know, complaints coming forward from people who are trying their best and, and really just want to do their jobs. But the pressure is enormous. I mean, even with some of these IRS whistleblowers on the Hunter Biden tax evasion case, they've had their lives completely ruined by the leadership at DOJ and FBI, where they've been suspended, their livelihoods have been threatened. I, you know, and they're like, look, man, I just want to show up at the FBI every day and do the job that I took an oath to do, which is prosecute according to the rule of law and the evidence before me. And I'm not allowed to do that because the target happens to be the president's son. So the rule of law goes out the window, equal application of the law goes out the window. I'm sure it's the same thing in the IC. And I, I just... I hope you're right, but I fear that we've accelerated to the point where everything is political and the good people in there are intimidated or cowed into silence or towing the line because understandably they want to keep their jobs, their livelihoods, their reputations, and and they'll just go along to get along. And I think if that's the case, we're in a, an exceedingly dangerous moment. Well, if that's the case, I, I agree with you completely. Um I, I, I do think that, you know, part of our problem at the top is that, again, uh, if we want to walk this dog back, right, then we need to evaluate in, in a very serious way um, how we vote, who we send to Washington, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this. I mean, let's face it. We, we are willing to keep sending people who are in their 80s, you know, not to be ageist. But Nancy Pelosi is 83 years old, and she just announced her re-election campaign. And Dianne Feinstein's 90 years old. She signed over conservativeship of her personal activities but she's, to her daughter, but she said she's going to maintain her seat in the Senate you know, throughout the term until 2025. People vote for Chuck Schumer all the time. People are voting for Mitch McConnell. We've got a, an election coming up between the same two candidates and the significant majority of Americans you know, are at least according to surveys and polls are saying we don't want those two candidates as our options. So, you know, there's a personal responsibility here in terms of people to actually think about what they're doing and who they're voting for. And again, nobody lives in the center anymore. Right. You want to maintain an apolitical environment, you know, for your key institutions that are protecting national security. Well, you know, maybe we need to think about voting for people who, you know, aren't just on the hard edges of one side or the other. Right. Find the find the center where, where crap gets done and you don't get that extreme pressure from whoever's sitting in the administration at that moment. Right? Um, that's an idealistic way of looking at it. I'm sure it's never going to happen. And, you know, I'm, I am cynical about it, but <laughs> uh, there's more here than than just. We can't ju- you can't just fix it. I guess what I'm saying is you can't fix problems like this if all you do is look at an institution. It's bigger than that. There's, there's, a, there's a broader problem here. And it's that, you know, again, people have moved to the outside edges on the left and the right. And people aren't talking to each other anymore. And, and, and we just everybody, you know, you, when you, you have those conversations, you're at a party and you're talking to somebody and you know they're not listening. All they're doing is looking to see who else they should be talking to. They're <laughs> yeah. What they should say next. They're not listening to you. They're thinking, well, what am I going to say next? And that's, that's our environment right now. Anyway, sorry about that. Well, no, 
No, no, not at all. And I love your idealism. And I love the fact that you're this grizzled former CIA operative and <laughs> you still have a sense of, of optimism and positivity and, and idealism. I love that about you, Mike Baker. Um, listen, I, we got to let you go, but you know, we didn't hit any of the foreign bad guys, which I fully intended to talk to you about China and Russia, Ukraine and terrorist organizations. So you're going to have to come back. I would love to. I would love to. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot happening in the world out there, and it'd be wonderful to, to spend a little bit of time talking about some of that, too. But, uh, uh, yeah, just you just let me know, and I'll be back on. Well, I can't wait to have you back, Mike, because you are phenomenal. I'm glad that we did do this deep dive into the Intel community because it needs some airing out, and I really appreciate you being here. So thank you so much. You are the best. Everybody, go check out Mike's new podcast. It's called The Presidential Daily Brief. Wherever you get your podcast, you will get a world of information all in 20 minutes from the great Mike Baker. Thanks again, Mike. All the best. Thank you, Monica. Take care. Okay, guys, that is going to do it for me. What a show today, huh? Chock-a-block with all kinds of fantastic information that you need to know about your world and your country. Thank you so much for being here, as always, and for checking out our terrific sponsors. want you to have a phenomenal weekend with those you love, and I will see you right back here for another big show on Tuesday. This episode of the Monica Crowley Podcast was produced by Bahakel Entertainment, LLC.